This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Good morning. The first reading today is from Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Don't put your trust in princes, in human beings who can't save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground, and on that very day, their plans come to nothing. But blessed are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down and the Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. And the second reading is from John chapter 9. I'll be reading from verse 13 to verse 34. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he's our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who'd been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know. I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We're disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. 
If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray as we come to look at God's word together. Our gracious Father, we thank you for the Holy Scriptures, for their precepts, promises, directions and light. In them may we learn of Christ, grasp his truth and have grace to follow in his steps. Amen. Well, things had started off so well. A couple of weeks ago, we began looking at John chapter 9 and Jesus did the impossible. He healed a man who had been born blind by simply making mud with his spit and putting it onto his eyes and the man washed and all of a sudden he could see. But now when John says, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been born blind, we know this is not going to go well. It's like hearing they're taking the hobbits to Isengard. You know that things aren't going to turn out well. The Pharisees, the leaders of the local synagogues, have already clashed with Jesus and have plotted to kill him. So now they're taking this man whom Jesus had healed to these experts in the law. But what's the problem? What's the issue? Well, Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the sacred Jewish day of rest. Now, at this point in Jewish history, the Sabbath wasn't just about reduced trading hours and a quiet Saturday afternoon. The Sabbath was one of the basic markers of what it meant to be Jewish and what it meant to be obedient to God. And according to the Pharisees' interpretation of the law, just kneading dough or making mud is counted as as breaking the Sabbath or healing somebody when it's not life-threatening, like healing their blindness. That is breaking the law. You had broken God's laws according to their interpretation of the law. You were a sinner, a persona non grata. You are worthy of public shaming. But the Pharisees are deeply divided. Did you hear what they said? This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath, some say. But for others, if Jesus really healed a man who was born blind, that is incredible. We've never seen that before. Maybe he really is from God. And so the Pharisees are deeply divided. Now this question, this divisive question of whether Jesus really is from God, continues to divide us today. Now for some, Jesus and Christianity are beyond the pale. Now who knows if Jesus even existed, let alone performed his so-called miracles. And anyway, we've tried, we've tried Christianity. We had it for a couple of millennia, but now we've thrown away superstition and now we have reason and science. We know better. And we are better now too. Especially in the last 50 years, we've exposed Christianity for what it really is. An oppressive force ultimately behind the evils of colonialism, racism, religious wars, homophobia and transphobia. We were blind, but now we see that Jesus and Christianity are not from God because they don't keep to our values and standards of what is right and wrong. But for others, Jesus is life. They see that Jesus lived and taught a compelling and enriching life. 
They believe he really died and rose again, bringing eternal and full life with God. That Christianity has not only been used for evil purposes, but for good too. Its monotheism drove the scientific revolution. Its concern for the oppressed was the original impulse behind the social justice revolutions of the last two and a half centuries and provides resources for mercy along with transcendence and meaning and rest. These two competing narratives vie for our allegiance. Now, it's most likely that, most, that you, most people, probably don't fit at one of those extreme ends. Much of our culture is Christ-haunted. Christ and his teachings inspire or at least linger. But then there's often a firm belief, uh, but vague belief in God. But because institutions have been so wasteful and corrupt, people believe in God not in spite of religion. Sorry, people believe in God in spite of religion, not because of it, as Nick Cave has put it. Well, where everyone sits between these two poles, that essential question And the question at the centre of this story is this. Is Jesus really from God? Does Jesus really give sight to the blind? And the larger question is, well, then how do we deal with that division? If you're not a Christian, what do you do with these alternative takes? How do you arbitrate between them? And if you are a Christian, how do you deal with the division that Jesus, whom you follow, creates? And especially if it genders fear or even hostility. Now, last week, we saw Jesus heal and bring light in a dark world. And today, we're looking at the aftermath of that. We step into the fray of this hostile investigation into what really happened and who Jesus really is, whether or not he really is from God. And so as we hear the testimonies of these people, of this healed man, the testimony of his parents, and the testimony of those investigating Pharisees, I think we can get a bit of clarity into how we can respond in this, to this divided message. And so the f- divided Pharisees, they turn again to the blind man. They say, well, what have you to say about him? He's a, it was your eyes he opened. The man is emphatic. He's a prophet, he says. Well, we know where the healed man stands. He definitely thinks that Jesus is from God. And so that, that's not what the Pharisees want to hear. So they, let's leave the, blind, the healed man's testimony to the one side for the moment and follow the Pharisees as they go and talk to his parents. The man's parents, they'll know the truth. They'll tell us that this is all just a big misunderstanding. You know, maybe the man pulled a switcheroo and it was all a scam. Or maybe he was just temporarily blind or just healed with traditional medicine. It's all been blown out of proportion. But the parents don't help much, do they? In verse 20, they say, we we know he's our son. Okay, well, there's no switcheroo. And we know he was born blind, so no easy healing. But beyond that, the parents, they clam up. Well, we don't know how we can see or how he can see or who did it. Ask him, he's of age, he can speak for himself. They clam up because there's too much at risk. They don't want to get on the bad side of the local synagogue rulers, the synagogue leaders. The reality is that if they said what they really knew, 
that it was Jesus who healed him, that they would be rejected. They'd be excluded from their community of family and friends, the community in which they live and work and learn, and the cost would be too high. Now, these parents, I think, take our initial problem even further because the division that that Jesus makes, it's not just an abstract one of ideas, but it's personal too. Now, for many of you, or for, for, for some of you who might be exploring Christianity, let alone standing out and sharing him, bearing witness to him, even just exploring Christianity can have very real personal consequences. Now, your family and friends might not only think of you as a religious nut, but as part of the very problems with the world. But the challenge for these parents is opening their mouths and speaking, witnessing about Jesus. And especially if we do that, we risk being excluded too. We've seen one recent high-profile case of just that kind of exclusion. Now, for me as a pastor, I think witnessing to Jesus in my workplace, not really much of a problem, not too many risks going there. But for some of you, even if you were to invite someone to church and they had a bad experience, that could get you in trouble. Or even just aligning with Jesus, let alone sharing him in your life, could lose your job. And so it's easy to be afraid, as these parents were. The message is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of Jesus and what he has done. Don't be afraid of the consequences that might, it might have on your life or to witness to the difference that he's made in your life. Now, when the risk is real, that could sound a bit hollow. But as the Gospel of John progresses, we see Jesus give reasons for people not to be afraid, to come to him or to witness to him. Because a little bit later on, he'll, reach, he'll seek out and find this healed man and welcome him to himself. And Jesus creates a community of disciples who will love one another and not just witness alone, but together in community. And he gives his spirit, who's the advocate, comforter, who leads them in what to say. Now, he doesn't solve all their problems, but he does give them the resources to keep going, even when they and even when we are afraid. Well, the Pharisees, they're not happy with the parents' fearful testimony, so they go and find the healed man again. Give glory to God, they say. Tell the truth. Own up to it. We know that he's a sinner. The pressure's on, but the man, he sticks to his story. I don't know whether he's a sinner or not, but I know this. I once was blind, but now I see. The man knows what Jesus has done, and he opens his mouth and speaks openly about it. And so they want to go over it again. They want to find holes in his story. Well, what did he do? How did he open your eyes? Surely it was just a trick. But the healed man, he doesn't fall for it. He just gets stuck into them. Well, I've told you already, and you're not listening. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to be one of his disciples too? I like his nerve. 
it's so striking how he just sticks to his guns. He's, and remember, he was only just healed. He doesn't know much about Jesus at all, but he knows what Jesus has done for him. He knows that Jesus is at least a prophet and who comes from God and is worth following. So he doesn't back down. Now, this healed man is a striking example of what it means to be open, to be open to Jesus and to be open about Jesus. He's not a religious fanatic. He's not dogmatically tied to traditions and superstitions. But he has seen and he's had an experience of Jesus in his life. And so in the face of division and the the hostility that's swirling around him, he isn't swayed one way or another. Now, it's characteristic of our times to take sides in the culture wars or join tribes in religious debates. But this healed man is is one example, I think, of a refreshing openness. One that doesn't just blindly jump on one bandwagon or another, either for or against Jesus because of cultural pressures around him but an openness to see and experience Jesus himself for who he is. But it's not just that he's open to Jesus. He's also open about Jesus. He's an open witness. Unlike his parents, he is courageous enough to stick his neck out and say what he, is, who, what he really knows to be true. This isn't a quiet, private faith. But neither is he a slick apologist or Bible-thumping preacher. This is an authentic, open faith that cannot keep its mouth shut. And so the challenge for us today is this. What would it look like for us to be open about Jesus like this man? Especially in the light of the kind of risks I spoke about before. Now, part of this, uh, well, the real, the part of the problem is that this is complicated. You know, knowing where to take a stand in each of our individual lives is tricky. It varies according to our circumstances, our personalities, our limitations, our opportunities. And our situations and opportunities can be so unpredictable. Uh, so, I don't think I can stand here and tell you that this is exactly what it should look like for you to witness to Jesus in your life. But the question is, I think, for each of us to ask, wherever I find myself, am I witnessing to Jesus? Am I being open about him in my life, open about my faith in him? And, you know, that's different for everyone. You don't have to go on national TV and have your head kicked in like some people like to do. You don't even have to strike up conversations on the plane or on the bus or on the street, although some of us will do that. This is about having a relationship with Jesus that matters to you and then finding your comfort zone and perhaps stepping a little bit to the right of that. And very often it's a long game. It's about building genuine relationships, being honest about who you are and what matters to you. In his book, How to Talk About Jesus Without Being That Guy, Sam Chan says, it's about listening. It's about being a de facto chaplain, being Jesus in a community, and the opportunities will come. 
Now, it might sound like uh, I'm saying that if you do all of this, then things will just turn out fine. That uh, if we're just open and kind, then all the divisions will be smoothed over and everything will be hunky-dory. But that's not quite what happens, is it? In verse 28, the Pharisees, they hurl insults at Jesus and they solidify that divide. They say, you're a disciple of Jesus. We are disciples of Moses. Moses came from God, but Jesus definitely didn't. The healed man, he insists, he presses the logic. He says, well, Jesus opened my eyes. God listened to him. He must be good. He must be from God. But the Pharisees, they've had enough. They don't want to hear, and so they throw him out. His parents, they were afraid, but they were right. Now, I began by suggesting that this story might help us get beyond the divisions about Jesus. But the reality is that sometimes there's no getting around division because people might simply refuse to listen or respond with hostility. And respond from hostility and refuse to listen from all sides, I might add. So what does this hostile response by the Pharisees teach us? Well, it urges us away from responding like this ourselves. Now, for Christians, this kind of hostility and refusal to listen is not how we should engage. And for people who aren't Christians, the invitation is to not be like these Pharisees, but to look at what Jesus has done. Look at the way that he has changed people around you. And look at the way that he really makes a difference. Listen to the way that he offers a better story, a better account of life, giving a deeper meaning, a truer freedom from what makes us anxious and a real connection with God. But secondly, this hostile response also reminds us that sometimes, no matter how winsome or kind or attractive we might seek to be, some people are always going to be hostile to Jesus and to his gospel. Now, I do think, actually, that's pretty rare in practice. And the risk is, there is a risk that we fear needlessly. But the truth is, we might be called in one way or another to wear the consequences for witnessing to him as this man did. But the challenge for us, as Melbourne Pastor Stephen McAlpine has put it, is that when people see us as the bad guys, we need to be the best bad guys we can be. And the emphasis is on best, not on bad. The emphasis is on best, to continue to be gracious and forgiving, to continue to be reasonable and continue to be bold, to have an authentic, open faith that can't hide can't keep its mouth shut. Well, it's not an easy word, is it? And so we need to work on this together. And we need God's help too. So let's pray and ask for it. Our Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus, the light of the world, that he gives light in the darkness. And so, Father, help us to be like this man who was healed, to so experience Jesus in our lives that we would open our eyes to him, be open to him and open to witnessing about him. And we pray this through the power of your spirit and for your glory. Amen.
Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.